Good morning. <clears throat> I said good morning that time. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> anyway, as we get started this morning, um, go ahead and take your Bible, turn to the book of Revelation if you would. Just uh, want to try to follow up with what we talked about last week, and um, have something to hand out to you here that hopefully will maybe help clarify uh, some things or make it a little simpler. Thank you. Um, we'll look at that in, in just a moment. You know, when you, I, I was thinking about this, when you would think of a portion of the Bible uh, that is focused on the Lord Jesus, all right, there's probably... I would think there could be a number of different places come to mind. And when I say portion, I mean like a book of the Bible. Um, but there are, there are some books of the Bible. I mean, in one way, the Bible's all about the Lord Jesus, all right? And, and of course, the New Testament, very emphatically so. Uh, there are portions, though, of, of the Bible that really, in a special way, emphasize uh, the Lord Jesus. And... and there's a number of those, but I mean, I think of the book of he Hebrews, for instance. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a unique and an interesting book of the Bible that, that presents Jesus actually in, from an angle in a light that the other books of the Bible don't focus much on. But uh, the book of Revelation, all right, and I say all that to say really the book of Revelation, when you think of Revelation, most people think about, you know, prophecy, things to come, future, and, and so on, which is right, obviously. Uh, but many times people miss the fact that the book of Revelation really is a book of the Bible that's all about the Lord Jesus as well. I mean, in fact, as you begin reading uh, the book, you see that from the very start. Uh, it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation means the revealing, the unfolding, the unveiling, the disclosing that kind of an idea, so it's, it's a book that's revealing Jesus Christ. And, uh, and again, I, I just kind of say that because a lot of times that's kind of overlooked. You know, we're, many times people think about the book of Revelation simply in the light of, okay, it's, it's telling us what's going to happen in the future, which is true, but they miss the point that it's really all about the Lord Jesus. Uh, as well. So I want to just take a little bit of time this morning. There's one particular aspect or portion that if we have time, I want to focus on, but we may not have time. Um, but just want to lay out and, and kind of give you this 
this overview, but hopefully in a way that's simple but yet makes sense. And again, I, what, what we'll talk about is mostly on that paper, so it, it, you have it there, if, all right, if something kind of goes, goes through the cracks, so to speak, while we're talking about it. But anyway, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll kind of jump into this here uh, this morning. Father, again, we thank you for uh, the Lord Jesus. Thank you that because of him and through him and in him and by him and all of that, Lord, that uh, we can have a relationship with you. And um, it's, it's uh, sometimes easy to think of our lives and be self-centered and think about us and so on. And, and many times we just forget that the whole point of our lives is the Lord Jesus as well. So this morning, as we think about this particular portion of Scripture and so on, I pray that you just uh, help us uh, not to lose sight of that, that uh, although there are things in, obviously, the book of Revelation that focus on, tell us, you know, about what's to come and, and so on, but really, uh, it's all about the Lord Jesus as well, and, and I pray that you'd help us to not lose sight of that. And so we thank you for him and uh, this opportunity this morning, and, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So just, I, I titled this just some keys to the book of Revelation, because uh, for, maybe for lack of a better term, but I think it's it kind of, the way this, uh, try to put this together, it's just certain keys that I think can help us in, in understanding, getting the right perspective on um, the, this book, all right, which is a wonderful book of the Bible. It's often, you know, scary to a lot of people in the sense of, and I don't mean just like unsaved people that read it and think, wow, you know, that's, that's something, because there are some very traumatic things described in the book of Revelation. If you've paid attention to it, there's, I mean, serious stuff talked about in it as far as destruction and judgments, things that will happen uh, on this earth, but in in the really in the in the biggest sense of it, the book of Revelation is rather a simple book in many ways. There's some and and there's some keys given in the book that that oftentimes other portions of Scripture don't have. I mean, how do you how do you when when if you were to take any book of the Bible, all right, how do you know what that book's about? All right, I mean. Really, you have to study it and you kind of analyze it and, and look at, you know, key words and phrases, various things. And sometimes there are purpose statements in the book, all right? For instance, the Gospel of John, all right? That was, uh, I think, talked about or a key in, in a recent Sunday school study. But the, go the Gospel of John, at, toward the end of the book in chapter 20, specifically states why the book was written. And uh, again, they're, they're, that, that's true of a number of books, but Revelation is very clear uh, on these things, okay? And so, again, as you, as you think about the book of Revelation here, uh, it has a grand subject, which is the Lord Jesus himself. In fact, as it begins, I already read the first few words, but notice it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Right? And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So it's, the grand subject is really the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you, uh, if you were to study the book, you would, you would see that in, I think, very clear detail. 
already mentioned about what the word means. I mean, it means an unveiling, uncovering, so on. So it's revealing the Lord Jesus. Now, uh, and that's according to the very first verse there. It says this book is about him. It's revealing him. And in this great portion of God's word, he's revealed to be the glorious, almighty God that is coming again to judge uh, this earth. He's going to exact his, if you want to say, privilege and right as King of kings and Lord of lords, rather than as the suffering Savior as he came the first time. Uh, and so, uh, purpose. What's the purpose of the book? Well, it's stated there in verse 1, really. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. All right, so it's, it's to uh, show God's servants uh, what, is, what God's going to be doing in this world. It reveals, of course, the future, perhaps as no other part of Scripture does, but certainly does. All right, and the writer, John, uh, is mentioned here. Now, there's more than one John in, that we know about in the New Testament, but without going through all of that, the writer of the book of Revelation here is most assuredly the Apostle John, brother of James, son of Zebedee, one of the twelve uh, you know, apostles, and remember also among those twelve apostles, there were three men that Jesus on numerous occasions singled out from that group that kind of were referred to sometimes as his inner circle, so to speak, um, Peter, James, and John. And even among those three, it's interesting that when you study the Gospel of John, all right, you see hints that John had a special relationship with Jesus above the others, even. Uh, remember at the, what's sometimes referred to as the Last Supper, but the, the Passover observance there, uh, just the night before Jesus was crucified. Remember, he made some statements that they were wondering about regarding Judas, the, you know, the traitor. And, and Peter, you know, Peter was often looked at as the leader, the spokesman, he would speak up and so on, but what did he do? He didn't ask Jesus what he was talking about or who it was. What did he do? Yeah, hey, John, you ask him. <laughs> I mean, and, but I think there's a reason for that. Now, there's probably a couple reasons for that. Remember, I, I remember one of those lessons that was mentioned how they actually ate, you know, they reclined and so on, and... And in Jewish custom, the seating was often by age and so on. John was probably one of the younger apostles, if not the youngest, and so he would have been close as they came around the table. He probably was the one that was next to Jesus. But, but anyway, um, and that's why his head was in location close to Jesus' breast, as the, as the Scripture says. But... I think it also indicates that John had a, he had a close relationship with, with Jesus at the crucifixion. Remember, Peter denied him, right, and, and so on, but all the disciples fled, right? They all left Jesus, but there was one who was present at the crucifixion scene, John. I mean, again, we could, we could go on, but, but I think it's significant, okay, when you, when you think about the revelation who it's about, what it's about, and everything, that John was the one that God chose to 
used to write this and share this, okay? So the writer John, and again, he's named numerous times here. Uh, we've got a couple references there uh, on the sheet to indicate that. This is an interesting point about Revelation as well. Maybe you're aware of this, but obviously in a generic sense, the Bible pronounces blessings on those who, you know, read it and heed it and so on. I mean, that's a, that's a kind of across-the-board fact, right? Uh, Psalm 1, remember? I mean, blessed is the man you know, who walketh not and so on, but then delighteth in the law of the Lord, in his law doth he meditate day and night and so on, and he should be like a tree planted by the river. I mean, you know, that's a blessing talked about. But Revelation is the only book of the Bible that I know of that actually pronounces a specific blessing for studying it itself. Notice in uh, verse 3, well, let me, let me continue reading here. Verse 2, who bear record, that's John, of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Now, notice verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Again, I, maybe I'm overlooking something, but I don't know of any other book of the Bible that specifically states that in its, you know, in its own book of, for this book particularly, if you give it some attention, you're, you know, there's blessings for that. Book of Revelation does. Again, it's a, it, this is one of those special things about this book. There's a special blessing pronounced here. But notice also in that, the way it's worded, verse 3, says, Blessed is he, that's singular, that readeth, and they, that's plural, that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. I think that also indicates, goes along with the next uh, section there on that, who the recipients of this book are. Who is the book of Revelation? Who is it? specifically intended to, uh, you know, directly, all right? It was written to seven churches, all right? That's, that's mentioned more than once here in chapter uh, 1. In fact, verse 4, look at that. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, that's interesting because there were more. Asia here refers not to the modern, you know, modern day, the continent of Asia as we think of it, but it's talking about a Roman province in that first century, which is uh, in what would be western modern-day Turkey, but Asia Minor, sometimes it's referred to, but it was a Roman province, so it was a geographical area. And there were more than seven churches in that area, by the way, all right? Uh, and we know of others okay, that were in that area that aren't named here, all right? But there are seven specific churches that the Lord chooses, all right? And again, obviously, it's not an accident. It, God did it on purpose. He chose these seven. Now, you'll notice, let me, let me pause here for just a second, too. I didn't really mention this specifically in that handout, but the number seven is significant in the book of Revelation. It comes up over and over and over again, all right? Uh, and so, uh, obviously, there's a, there's a special connection with that. But the, the recipients directly, all right, who the book is directly stated to be for, 
uh, is the seven churches which are in Asia, which again, there were more than that, more than seven churches. Now, verse 11, the Lord Jesus spe specifies which seven, all right? Jesus is speaking here in verse 11. He says, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, that's, we already saw that. But then he says, he specifies unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. All right. So that is, those are the direct recipients. Now, you'll see a chain here, God the Father, the Lord Jesus, uh, and of course, John is used as the human writer. Um, and I'll just leave it at that for now. And then the churches, these seven churches are the, if you want to say, the intended recipients. Just like, though, um, for instance, First uh, and Second Thessalonians, use those as an example, all right? Uh, they are specified in the greetings of those books that they're written by Paul and uh, Silas and Timothy, I think, I think, in those, but written to the church of God at Thessalonica, which is at Thessalonica, all right, so a specific church. Now, what I'm getting at with that is, does that mean they're the only ones that that has any pertinence or value to? Obviously not, okay, but it is intended for them. That was an actual letter written, of course, by God through Paul to that church for specific reasons, okay, but it, it obviously has application beyond them themselves. Now, the same is true for the book of Revelation. It was specified for these seven churches, but obviously, you know, others beyond those seven churches have, uh, you know, relevance to that. And we'll mention more about that just, just in a short bit here, all right? But those, they're the direct recipients that are specified here. These churches, and then I would say in, in a bigger sense, all the Lord's churches have a special significance with the book of Revelation. Now, also, all right, there's a key verse that I believe gives us really a key to understanding the flow, the structure, the organization, if you want to say, of the book of Revelation, and that's verse 19 of chapter 1. All right. In fact, uh, let me turn my page and get down there to it. Here, you'll and and if we have time, we'll get back to chapter one here and this vision that John sees. But we may not have time to do that. But John sees. Okay, he, he introduces himself. All this says that this is you know the revealing of the Lord Jesus. This is uh, he's talking about things that are to come to pass, and it's written to these churches. John says that he's, he's, he's banished on the Isle of Patmos, which was an island in the Aegean Sea off the coast of Asia Minor, by the way, not really not too far, too many miles from Ephesus, which would have been the closest city to him at that time, which was the first of the seven churches. And, and you notice that those churches, the way they're listed, they go in a circuit all the way around. And so, um, but... In chapter 1, then, John sees this great vision of the Lord Jesus. A wonderful, wonderful thing there. And uh, there's a lot of, lot of things there. But in, in Jesus' speaking to John in that vision, he says a number of things, all right? 
In fact, let me just begin reading at verse 17. This is John when he saw Jesus and, and what was just talked about in the preceding verses. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. All right, now there's only, you know, there's very few that can make that claim. So we know it's the, it's the Lord Jesus here. All right, but think about this. Uh, have you ever noticed this? Anytime anybody in the Bible gets a glimpse of the Lord, what do they do? What's their, what's their, nor, you know, they're just, I don't know, natural is the right word, but their natural reaction. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people talk about, you know, going to heaven, seeing the Lord as if it's going to be this great big Sunday school picnic and, you know, we're going to be sitting around eating hog jaws and, Whatever, I mean, you know, and like, I, 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 when you look at what the Bible says about heaven, in fact, the clearest presentation that we have of heaven and what goes on in heaven is found in the book of Revelation. And that is nothing like what is shown to us, okay? And, and I'm not trying to be unkind or whatever, but I'm just saying a lot of times we, we have great misconceptions about what heaven is going to be like, what being in the presence of the Lord is going to be like, okay? I mean, you know, there's these songs that say, you know, when I see Jesus, I'm going to run up and give him a hug, this kind of stuff. I mean, anybody that sees the Lord in the Bible, they fall on their face. I mean, that's, that's what happens. And I dare say that, you know, it's not going to be any different for us. Um, but you have... As John sees him, Jesus says, don't be afraid. And it's interesting that that's normally the Lord's response to these people. Their, nor, you know, their first response is because they see who he is and they realize they're very insignificant in, compared to him. He is so much higher. I mean, think about Isaiah and just, I mean, but, but the Lord here, John says that the Lord put his hand on him and said, don't be afraid. I'm paraphrasing. Fear not, don't be afraid. I mean, that's a comforting thing there, right? But so then Jesus says, fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And, uh, lost my place, and behold, I am alive forevermore. He's not going to die anymore. Amen and have the keys of hell and death. And then notice, as he's speaking, he says to John in verse 19, in fact, there's a period after verse 18 that starts a new you know, thought here, but he says, write the things which thou hast seen. All right, so Jesus is speaking to John. He's seen this great vision of Jesus, and he tells John to write the things that he had seen. So what, what would that be in the scope of the book of Revelation? It would have to be, okay, what he just saw, right? So the things which he had seen, the th uh, let me read it instead of trying to quote, and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery, and notice it continues, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. He saw those things in the vision, all right, that is before this. 
So I'm just going to leave that for now. But notice verse 19. It gives us a key to understanding the book of Revelation. Again, first, he says, he told John to write the things that he had seen. That's past, right? And obviously, in the scope of Revelation, that would be what was already before that or this great vision of the glorified Lord Jesus that John is privileged to see. John, in fact, it's interesting, back in, I think it's chapter, verse, I know it's chapter 1, but in... Uh, Trying to find my place here. Verse 10, John says, He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So he's exiled. He's not able to meet. He's alone, all right? He's, as far as human companions, he's alone. It's the Lord's day. He's not able to meet with a church. So he's worshiping God privately. I mean, again, a lot of people might use that as an excuse, but this is his only resort, okay, at this, in this condition that he's in, this situation, but the Lord Jesus comes to him. It's an interesting thing here. And he sees this great vision, all right? And then he says, right secondly, so there's a, a breakdown here. You have these three parts, the, the, what he saw, what he had seen, all right, the, the past. And then secondly, he says, write the things which are, so the present things. Now, and then, he, and then he has a third one, the things which shall be hereafter, so future things, all right? So you have past, present, future things that John's writing about. Again, the past is limited in the book of Revelation. It's just what he had seen in that vision. And then, but the things which are would be, would comprise chapters two and three, the letter, the, the information that Jesus gives John to give to the churches specifically, all right? And then, uh, so let's talk about that for a minute before we get to the third part. So the things which are the present things, chapters 2 and 3, again, we mentioned this last week in passing, but there's seven letters that John is told to write here to these seven churches. Now, the interesting thing is they're not like, for instance, like the Thessalonian letters that I mentioned or the letter to the church at Philippi. It's not like an individual thing that's sent just to them. All seven of those are written together and included in the book of Revelation. In fact, the whole book of Revelation is sent to those seven churches, right? That follow? Okay, so, so it's an interesting thing. When you think about this, all right, all of these churches see what Jesus is saying to and about the other churches. It's not just a private matter, so to speak. All right, so it's, it's all included. In fact, they get, they get the whole book of Revelation, not just their individual letter, not just the other letters as well. They get the whole book, all right? That's, that's the point of it, all right? But you have these, uh, these seven short epistles that Jesus basically dictates to John that he's to write and send to these churches, all right? And so... Um, if, and we don't have time to even read all seven of those this morning, but uh, I'm sure that you're familiar enough with them. There's seven letters, all right? And they, they go in that order that we mentioned, Philadelphia, Smyrna, Thyat uh, Pergamus, Thyatira, uh, Sardis, uh, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And uh, the order that Jesus mentioned, all right, he gives a letter. Now, each of these letters, there's, a, there's some commonality to these letters as far as structure. You'll notice on every one of them, at the beginning of the, the individual letter, Jesus introduces himself as he's writing, 
Uh, in fact, they all say, these things saith, okay? In other words, I'm, I'm saying these things, but and there, then there's an, uh, an individual description of the Lord Jesus given in each of these seven letters. Uh, so there's the church address, the specific church address. There's the Christ described. And most of the descriptions, at least, that are given in these seven letters, if you were to go back and look at that vision in chapter 1, you'll see that most of the descriptions are taken from that vision. There are some exceptions, but most of them are taken from that vision. All right, so you have the Christ described. This is common for every one of these letters. And then generally there's a commendation. There's some words of you know, where, where the Lord is commending the churches. He's saying, in fact, he basically on all of them says, I know their, your works, and then he'll lay out some things. For instance, just to give a, an example, in, in the first one there, in the letter to the church at Ephesus, all right? Notice the, the structure. Under the angel of the church at Ephesus write, and it's an interesting thing, he says, the angel of the church. I don't have time to get into that right now at all. Uh, of Ephesus write, these things saith, he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. <clears throat> now those are taken, that, that description of the Lord Jesus is taken directly from what John saw in the vision. All right, But Jesus is choosing these descriptions of himself for each of these churches. And again, there's reasons, specific reasons why. But notice in verse 2 he says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. So you see some words of commendation from the Lord Jesus to the church, right? In fact, that's quite a list. That mean, I don't know of any church that wouldn't want that to be said of them, Right? I mean, that, that, when you think about that, there's some things said there that aren't said of the others. And I mean, that was quite a church as far as a lot of things. All right. So there's words of commendation. And then, uh, well, I'll just insert this here. Interestingly enough, there are two of the churches, though, that Jesus never commends for anything. That's a sad thing if you think about it. Very sad thing. The comment was made earlier about leaning to the left. <laughs> and I thought, oh no, left-leaning churches, you know. Uh, obviously, that's sort of a pun, you know, but I mean, uh, but there are some churches even there, even in the first century. Do you realize churches were having doctrinal issues and problems way back? It's not just a modern thing, all right, but way back. And Two of these churches have no, nothing good said about them by Jesus. Church at Sardis and the church at Laodicea. Neither one, none of them have anything good that Jesus is commending them for. Then you have not just good things, commendation that's deserved by the churches, but you have the condemnation. I got to say that slow because I get tongue-tied and mixing them up there, but you have the condemnation. In other words, Jesus then condemns the churches for some things that are wrong that he doesn't like, all right? In the church at Ephesus, we were reading this one as an example. He says, 
down in verse 4, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. So it's the idea is you have all this going for you, a lot of good things, and I, I appreciate, you know, I'm commending you for this, but I do have something against you. And he says, you've left your first love. Now, again, we're not talking about the specifics of each of these right now because of time constraints, but that's just an example. Jesus points out something that needs taken care of in the church, all right? Now, so, so he mentions that, and again, as I said before, it's not just the church at Ephesus that reads this. It's all the churches are going to read this, all right? But Two of the churches, just like two of the churches did not have anything good said about them, two of the churches the Lord doesn't deliver any bad news to as far as condemning them and saying this is wrong. The church at Smyrna and the church at Philadelphia. The Lord doesn't say there's something they need to correct. All right, so you have, you have the church, the Christ, you have the commendation, you have the condemnation delivered. Then, then you also, in everything, and this is, this is consistent with the Lord, by the way, that when he points out what's wrong with somebody or with something or with a situation, he tells us how to make it right. Notice in, again, our example to the church at Ephesus, he says in verse 4, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Then verse 5, he tells them how to make it right, how to correct it. He says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. All right, so you have, you have words of correction. Then you have a consequence. In other words, again, as the example, he says, uh, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. So in other words, if you don't get it right, this is going to happen. There will be consequences, is what the Lord's saying. And it's, you know, again, just as a kind of little practicality lesson here, because it's, I, I believe it's true in our lives individually. We see it as the Lord deals with His churches and so on, but he, 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 he points out what's wrong, but He tells us how to correct it, and He usually gives us some space to correct it. I mean, the Lord is long-suffering. Now, we don't know how long the Lord had been bearing with this church on various things, okay? But the Lord is very long-suffering. And I'm thankful for that, because... I mean, I probably wouldn't even be alive if it weren't for that. Uh, but he is long-suffering. However, there are consequences to, to wrong choices, to sin, and so on. And then I, I just worded it this way, but there's a challenge issued on every one of these letters as well. Now, that's, it's, it's, there's a couple elements to that challenge, but notice um, here... In fact, in this particular example, Jesus even adds another good word there in verse 6 to these. But then in verse 7, he says, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Now, you'll find that phrase, that statement in every one of these seven letters. All right? Whoever has ears, now, who is that? All right? That's, that's basically everybody. All right? So everybody needs at least as a general rule. There are a few people in the world that literally don't have ears, but for various reasons, but there are probably some birth defects. I, I know some, I've met some people that as a result of fire don't have any ears anymore, you know, outside ears. They still have eardrums and so on the inside. But, um, but my point is, all right, this is a general exhortation, challenge, if you want to say, to everybody to listen up. 
is the point. Okay? And then um, you'll see he also adds to that, uh, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So every one of these, it's written to a specific church, but every church is exhorted to hear what the Lord's saying to all the churches. All right? And then you have a promise attached here as well. Notice he says, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, there's a different promise attached with every one of these letters. But again, the way it's included in this challenge, we could say these are going to be true for all overcomers, whether they're in Ephesus or whether they're in Smyrna or whether they're in Thyatira or wherever. All right? And so you have these elements that are in these letters. And thinking about these, and again, we're not, uh, getting real far yet, but how do we understand these letters? We've sort of mentioned this throughout, so let me just specifically hit this and move on. But there's at least three levels, if you want to say, or, or ways of understanding application of these letters, all right? Again, every one of these was an actual specific local church, all right? And so we need to understand that. They were, there were specific situations, specific issues in every one of these places that the Lord was addressing, good and bad, all right? And so that is an actual thing. And then secondly, there are church admonitions. Again, the exhortations given is to all the churches to listen to what the Lord's saying to that church and to all the churches, okay? And then you have personal, all right? There's a personal level of application because it says to him, to he that hath ears to hear. So there's personal accountability and all of this as well. And then I, I include this, but I include this with definitely a caution because the Bible doesn't state this like it does those other three areas, but they're... they're seems to be, there's an apparent prophetic foreshadow in the order. Now, the Lord did put these in this order for a reason, okay? Obviously. Um, and when we look back, this is, the, I guess, the, the thing, is when we look back from our day looking back, we can see, you know, they say hindsight's twenty twenty vision, right? It does seem that there is an apparent prophetic order of these churches, the way they're addressed, that seem to fit into uh, what people call periods of history of the churches, all right? Um, but I say that with caution because the Bible doesn't specify it. It does specify the other three areas. And so we need to be careful in that as well. And there are, like, for instance, the Schofield Study Bible, some of you may not even have heard of that, but that, that was very popular study Bible for a long time. And uh, Mr. Schofield, he, he very prominently focused on that particular thing that, you know, church ages and all this stuff. And you ever heard anybody say that today we live in the Laodicean age, that kind of thing? And that, that's kind of what that really refers to is, you know, the, these churches. Now, but let me say this as well, all right? Throughout that first, from the first century until today, there are, there are churches that represent these characteristics and qualities at all at one time, all the time. Okay, so we, again, just saying that that was that age and this is this age and this is this age, uh, there, there, there might be some 
some appearance of that, but we got to be careful on that, all right? And then the third area, and really it's the biggest area, but uh, is the things which shall be hereafter. If, if you notice in verse 19 of chapter 1, he says, Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. If you turn to chapter 4, verse 1, which chap, through chapter 3, you have the letters to the churches, the things which are. And then in verse 1 of chapter 4, after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will, now notice, show thee things which must be hereafter. All right, almost identically worded as the, the last statement there in uh, verse 1, chapter 9, chapter 1, verse 19. Uh, but the things which were to be after, all right, or future things. So really chapters 4 and following in the book of Revelation describe the future, which from our standpoint is still yet future. We still live in the, the age of the churches, and, uh, and that will be the case until the Lord comes back in the rapture, which we mentioned last week, all right? But if you, and then if you, you look... Chapters 4 and 5, again, we don't have time to read it and, and really pay attention to it right now, but you'll see that chapters 4 and 5, remember John's called up to heaven and he's going to be shown the things which are hereafter, but the things that happen basically on the earth after that. It's an interesting thing. He's taken up to heaven to be shown what's going to happen here on the earth. Again, it doesn't say this is... Uh, you know, this is the rapture, and, but, but there's definitely a picture here of what happens at the rapture. The Lord's people are taken up, things are, and then we'll see things that happen in heaven, but things are happening on earth, right, that the church is not part of, all right? And so chapters 4 and 5 describe a scene in heaven. And, of course, the tribulation is down below on earth, but this is what's happening in heaven then. All right, and, and, of course, basically it's worship around the throne of God. And there's a lot of different things that are described there, but that's basically the gist of it. At the end, toward the end of chapter 5, you have, well, in chapter 5, you have a book that's revealed to us. It says a seven-sealed book, literally a scroll, but a seven-sealed book. So a, a scroll with seven seals on it. Seals were put on documents to ensure... Uh, you know, that they were delivered to who they were intended for, and so on. And theoretically, at least, maybe somebody physically could, but theoretically, if that wasn't for you, you couldn't open the seal, all right? And so uh, we see that happening in heaven. The, the, the book's revealed, and then it says, who is able to open the seals? Who's able to take the book, even, and open the seals? And then we see John starts crying because he says there was nobody in heaven found to be worthy to open the book. But then there's a lamb that steps from the throne and he takes the book. All right, I mean, this is, this is beautiful, but this is what's happening in heaven. It's all about the throne of God and worshiping him and so on. And then we see what's going to happen here on the earth. It's, un, it's basically that book is the key, that seven-sealed book. 
as the Lamb opens the seals on that book, you see the tribulation time unfolding here on the earth. And really the, 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 the rest of the book of Revelation, uh, except for some closing things in chapter 22 at the end, is really the unfolding, the opening of that book, of that seven-sealed book. And um, there's, there's three series of judgments. You have the seven seals, right? So each, as each seal is opened, you have something happening here on the earth, right? And basically, the first six seals would be the first half of the tribulation. The seventh seal, as that's opened, it reveals seven angels with seven trumpets. And then as those angels blow their trumpets, there's judgments from God that are poured out. And you'll see a great difference between the seal the first six sealed judgments and then the trumpet judgments and, and the, later, the last judgments as well. In, in, the, in, I mean, in other words, the first six judgments, okay, the, the first six seals, in some ways, I would, I'd, I'd word it this way, in some ways they can be seen as being kind of the consequences of man's destructive nature on the earth itself. God's allowing it, but they're not so much supernatural things, like in comparison to the trumpets and, and vials. All right, the Antichrist is, is on the scene, and you have wars and famines and so on. But, I mean, there are wars and famines now, right? But, there, I mean, there'll, there'll be a greater, to a greater extent at that point. But when, you, when the trumpet judgments start, I mean, things happen. Uh, a, a great stars cast from heaven to the earth destroys a third of the world's population like that. I mean, those are supernatural significant judgments that we see in the trumpets and the vials. And, and again, I, I encourage you to, to read through that. I, I think it, it describes it in a rather simplistic way, but we don't have time to, to, to keep on with that. But... Uh, if you, if you just follow that, that flow, the unfolding, unopening of those seals, that's really the, the chronological flow of the, of the book of Revelation and the tribulation here on the earth. And there's some pauses, you know, in places that introduce us to people that are involved in what's happening. For instance, and I think I use this as an example on there, chapter 7, you have, we're introduced to 144,000 Jewish evangelists. They're the ones that are going to be preaching the gospel here on the earth during the tribulation time because Christians, New Testament church-age Christians, are going to be raptured out, right? But there's going to be supernaturally God's going to seal and He's going to call and send out these 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And by the way, they will be effective preachers because uh, I think it's at the end of chapter 7, it tells us that there's an innumerable company in heaven of those that were saved during the tribulation time. I mean, they're effective, all right? And again, there's, I mean, there's a lot involved in all of that. But, uh, but that's just an example of, okay, sometimes the story, the chronological flow pauses and we're introduced to people, okay, who were having a part in what was going on. That's uh, what I was getting at with that. But basically, it's just the unfolding of those Seven seals, the seventh seal is seven trumpets, seven, the seventh trumpet is seven vials. And, uh, and at the end of that, 
Lord Jesus comes back, chapter 19. He sets up his millennial kingdom, mostly chapter 20. We have the you know, final judgments, renewing a heaven and earth, chapter 21, 22, new heaven, new earth, and eternity, and so on. But uh, laid out there. Anyway, uh, hopefully that uh, is some help uh, there. But the book of Revelation, it's a wonderful, wonderful book and uh, pronounces a special blessing for those that will give it attention. Uh, again, so it's, it's worth pursuing. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Help us now as we um, worship you and interact with you and your word in the next in the service. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.